What's up, fellas, and welcome back to the Grown Man Podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Kersey. I got a question for you. Are you living a truly rich life? And do you know what that would look like if you were going to pursue a rich life? I'm not talking about just building a big bank account or having a huge house and a boat. (laughs) I'm talking about living richly in your relationships, using money as a tool that can further God's kingdom, using money as a tool that can help you step into the things that God has put on your heart, the causes that you most care about, using money as a tool to invest in your family and in your relationships and in the people in your community. That's what my buddy, my friend, my mentor, James Linhoff, is all about. He wrote a book called Living a Rich Life. And if you are a faithful listener of the podcast, you will recognize this episode. We're actually pulling it back from our huge archives, <laughs> back from episode uh, three, I think, of, of the podcast. Uh, James was an early, early guest on the show, a huge inspiration to actually get the show off the ground. But we're replaying it because we have an event coming up. Uh, James has been gracious to offer to be our guest speaker coming up on April 2nd in just a few weeks here at Fueled Collective in Cincinnati. And James is going to walk us through how to think about money, how to approach money from an abundance mindset rather than worrying about what might go wrong at all different corners, how to kind of filter out some of what the media will uh, push into our heads, which is appropriate right about now, given everything that's going on in the market. Um, we're going to talk about how to actually build uh, a spending plan rather than a budget, how to spend intentionally, how to look at your dollars and decide where those dollars are going to go ahead of time. And we're going to talk about ultimately why generosity is a key component to living a truly rich life. Look, guys, listen to this episode if you haven't already with James Linhoff, because it is a powerful one. And even if you have listened to it, I would encourage you re-listen to it, listen to it again, uh, because there's so much uh, goodness in James, not just as a founder uh, of WealthQuest, uh, the president there and a wealth management advisor, but just as a grown man, as a father, as a husband, as a leader in our community, as a man who is truly walking with Christ. Uh, And I'm excited to share this episode with you again, but I would be even more excited if you uh, jumped on to grownmanproject.com slash rich life. That's grownmanproject.com slash rich life. It's there in the description of this episode if you want to hunt it down and get signed up for the event on the second. Uh, We're going to have plenty of time for Q&A with James. We're going to have plenty of time for mingling with the other men that are there. We got 40 spots available. I think we got a decent chunk of them still left, but guys are starting to sign up. So make sure you go get your spot, grownmanproject.com slash rich life. James, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for thanks for hanging out with me. Yeah, man, I'm excited to be here. We're here at WealthQuest headquarters. Yeah, good old. What is this considered? Mason, Ohio. I don't, this is technically Sharonville. Sharonville. Yeah, Ohio. it's like a very weird corner of okay. Sharonville. Okay, yeah. interesting. Well, thanks for hosting me. Yeah, you bet. Welcome to Sharonville. Appreciate <laughs> Welcome to Sharonville. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Uh, we've actually not known each other that long. I've known yeah. of you for a long time, but Likewise. have had a blast getting to know you and the WealthQuest team over the last six months. And so excited for you to share a little bit of your journey 
as a man, as a business leader, as a husband, and as a dad. Oh, man. I'm excited, too. This is going to be fun. Awesome, brother. Yeah. So for the few people listening that don't know who James Linhoff and Wealthwest <laughs> the are. The few. There's not many left out there. They see, my, see me on the Facebook pages constantly. That's because that's, of you, by the way. That's so. true. That's right. We'll take full credit for that. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about just kind of your, your story and who yeah. Wealthquest is? Yeah. So um, my story, I guess, starting from just my family, I'm uh, married to my wife, Amy, for 18 years. Uh, We have three kids, Max, Wes, and Mia, and Max is 13. Wes is about to turn 11, and Mia is nine. And uh, so I started in my career at Northwestern Mutual uh, long before you were there. (laughs) And we kind of learned relatively quickly that this is a hard business. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of sacrifice and a lot of pain involved. And now it's funny. I have a lot of people that kind of see what's happened with WealthQuest and where we've come. And they would love to have my gig. <laughs> and I tell them, I don't know if you would do my first five years. In fact, I don't know if I would. Yeah. Even if I knew where it was going, I'm not sure I would do it. Because it was so hard. And there was so much um, failure and so much uh, self kind of loathing in that mm. season because it, I just didn't feel like I was ever going to make it. Mm. And um, But it's the best thing that ever happened to me was mm. going through that season young, kind of learning that failure is actually not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, it didn't kill me. And uh, growing in the way we do family and the way we do marriage really was rooted in a lot of pain that happened in that kind of just starting to get this thing going. Mm. And uh, so I'm really grateful for it, but I, like, like I said, I wouldn't do it again. Yeah. So we started WealthQuest really out of this awareness that the financial services industry is broken. Everybody's getting their advice in these different silos, an accountant over here, an attorney over there, and five different places where money's invested, and none of those people are talking to each other. Hmm. So the client's left in this quarterback role trying to coordinate all these different advisors that are all competing with each other in a lot of ways to try to get the client to trust them more than someone else. Hmm. And so they're really conflicted and really challenged with how, who do I listen to and when and why. So we built WealthQuest to step into that space. Hmm. And so we are the quarterback. We do the client's tax work, their estate work, their financial planning, their investment management. It's all in one place. Hmm. It's all included in the investment management fee. So that the idea is we're building out this relationship where we're actually going really deep and we're coordinating all the team to aim at the same target. Hmm. And man, it's been really fun to meet that need because that's actually, I think, the need that people have. Yeah. Investment results are what they are. Mm-hmm. What they really need is someone to say, you're going to be okay. We know where this is going. We know how to pull all this stuff together and make it all work. Mm-hmm. And then our tagline is invest in your life. Mm-hmm. We'll do the rest, right? My passion is getting people to do the things that they said they were always going to do that they're not doing right now because they're scared. Mm-hmm. We're trying to inject confidence where there's fear. And it's a huge uh, reward when that happens, when someone gets released to go live the life they said they were going to live. Yeah. So how many? How long have you been in the business specifically? Uh, this is my nineteenth year. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's and, awesome. And so my condolences, right? Really? At the same time. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, we got married. Uh, I was twenty-two. She was twenty-three. Yeah. Uh, I graduated from college early. Yeah. And went straight into the business at twenty-one. Wow. Yeah. Is that code for like you dropped out or you were just no? Like I smart? actually I actually graduated. <laughs> I did. It, well, it was so funny. I'm a planner by nature, yeah. right? 
And so I was looking at how many hours I needed in order to graduate from Miami. Yeah. And I had exactly that many hours. That's awesome. So I went to summer school, uh, didn't come back home. I just stayed in, and just kept cranking on stuff and got the classes done quicker. That's awesome. And I got out in three and a half years. So Yeah. And what great. made you initially decide to jump on board at Northwestern then? Uh, I got recruited in by Ron Bashir, who I love dearly. Awesome. And, uh, you know, I thought I was going to be a pharmaceutical rep. Hmm. And no offense to the pharmaceutical reps that might be listening, but uh, I, I actually got a, a this thing called a thematic sequence at Miami. It's kind of like a minor in biomedical science. Okay. Because I thought that's what I was going to do. Yeah. And then I went on a ride. I got all dressed up in a suit and tie. I went on a ride with a friend of mine who's a pharmaceutical rep, and I thought, this is your job? I can't do this job. And so all of a sudden, everything I was aiming for kind of came crashing down around me. Yeah. And I had no idea what I was going to do. And the recruiter wow. for Northwestern picked me up out of the crowd on the opposite side of the career fair from where her booth was. She just walked up to me in the middle of the crowd and said, what do you want to do for a living? And I said, I have no idea. She huh. said, come with me. <laughs> and that was how I started down the path. That was it. Yeah. That was the ball game. Yeah. I so then it. I met Ron. Yeah. And I said, I could work for this guy. Yeah. You know, and I did for uh, five years. And then he retired, semi-retired, whatever yep. he ended up doing. Yeah. And the person that they brought in, I just didn't mesh with. And yeah. I left. So Wow. And again, best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. That person was uh, just, it wasn't a match. They were only there for six months. Mm. Had I held in there and just kind of bit my tongue, I'd probably still be there. Yeah. But... Uh, so at the time, I thought everything I've worked for is over, my career is over, everything's terrible, and God's sovereignty. In every moment in my life where I've been most fearful and most uncertain, he has proven himself to be most trustworthy and most sovereign. Wow. So all I have to do now is just trust him. He's yeah. proven that he's trustworthy over and over again. So yeah. whenever something weird happens or wheels come off the rails or whatever, you go, yeah, okay. Hmm. God's for me. And somewhere in this, he has something for me. And I can say that with a rearview mirror. In the moment, I was saying, this is the end. Everything's terrible. God, what have you done to me? Right? Yeah. And now you look back and you go, oh, I see the story you were weaving, and I'm really grateful for it. So That's so powerful. Yeah. How, how do you, as a young man that might you. hear you say hey. something like that? Oh, no. Okay. I thought you were calling me a young man. Dang it. You're still a young man. Okay. You're a very young man. Uh, but you have some perspective, right, at least. Right. You're, yeah. you're a little more seasoned yes. than you were at 23 or 24 right. years old. So when a 23, 24-year-old young man hears a phrase like that, yeah. uh, how, how do they take that and actually apply that practically? You know, it. it I don't know if you can. Hmm. And that's you know, really the hard part of the faith journey is uh, it is your journey and you can hear over and over again from people who are 20, 30, 40 years ahead of you mm. that this is the way you should think and here's why. And a lot of times it doesn't sink in, unfortunately, because, you know, you can say things like, well, it's easy for you to say because you're where you are. And we can say all the time, yeah, but I was where you are. And when I was where you are, I was thinking the same things you're thinking. Mm -hmm. I was having the same fear that you're having. So I wasn't doing it different either, yeah. right? So I think for me, it's more just an encouragement that those are seasons. Um, and what I, what I have entered into now in seasons is I trust that God is for me. Mm. And I trust that there is something he has for me. Nothing happens to me anymore. 
it always happens for me. And so it, that means pain and ugly and hard, but there's still something that God's holding in his hand and saying, this is what I want you to get from this. Hmm. And if you can hold on to that truth, it, it doesn't make any of the pain less painful. It just gives it purpose. Hmm. Right? You can wake up to the fact that there's a reason this is happening. And, and I will know that reason at some point. I'll look back and say, I understand now. Hmm. And that may not happen this side of heaven. But for me, it's happened enough times in my life in little things and other big things mm -hmm. that I trust that it will always happen, even if I have to wait until I get to ask him face to face. So mm -hmm. I love that, man. Yeah. 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 That's good patience. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. So one of the things that I have been trying to intentionally invest in is men's ministry and trying to meet guys where they are at a stage that's not so far ahead of them. You know, I had an experience and maybe you had a similar experience where I'd be in the crowd at a men's event through church and there'd be this 70-year-old hmm. or 60-something-year-old that'd be standing up on the stage and be saying something like, don't do what I did. Hmm. You know, don't work 60 hours a week and don't miss your family and don't do these things because I did all that and I can tell you it wasn't worth it. And at the end of the day, everybody in that crowd says, yeah, but you did it too, hmm. right? So I still don't feel like there's an option because you can tell me not to do it but you did it for a reason, and I'm doing it for a reason. Mm. And it, so what I'm trying to do at 40, and I've been doing for a while now, mm -hmm. is stand up and say, I'm not going to do it. So yeah. I'm going to try what it looks like to live a life that isn't overworked and overcommitted and over-distanced from my family now mm. and see if it actually can work. Because it's one thing for that older guy to say, don't do it, mm. while he did it all his career. So, so far, the jury's still out. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things I can say, man, I'm really glad what, what I've, some of the decisions we've made and some of the boundaries we put in place, I'm really grateful for. And then there's other parts of me that are like, I'm still really overcommitted mm. and I'm still, you know, feeling like I'm, I'm a little overcooked, but you know, I've, I've got this kind of grounding thought in my head of stay connected, you know, try this, try this life out that everyone says is actually available. Yeah. And they're 60 and see if it's available now. Yeah. And I, th I think it is actually. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're practicing what that right. should look like right. in the future. Right. But rather than wait till the future, you're deciding to activate that now. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I, you know, I read the book, uh, halftime. Yeah. And the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, I'm, I'm angry at this book. <laughs> I love the concept, this whole idea of transitioning from success to significance. Mm. But throughout the entire book, there's this concept of the first 25 years of your career is all about success, and then you get to huh. move to a focus on significance. Yeah. And I'm going, I don't want to wait till halftime. Yeah. I'd actually like to have significance today. Yeah. Why, why do I have to wait for 25? Why can't I just start today having a focus on significance? Mm. And success is whatever else it is. But mm. um, so I'm trying to to pull those concepts forward and say, I'm not going to wait until I'm 55 or 60 and yeah. start to transition then. Um, Cause I'm actually not convinced you have to wait. Mm. So, so now that you are 19 years yeah. into your career, yeah. what do you wish more men knew in those early years of career and life and family? I think it's for me an awareness that it's not always like this. There was a season in my life that I can say with with absolute confidence that I had 
I had to prove myself to other people. I had this deep sense of inadequacy, this mm. fear that other people would judge me or that they would know the truth that I have no idea what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? Like that kind of external motivation of I've got to keep everybody around me convinced that I'm good enough, mm. that goes away. Mm. And at some point, you're kind of like, this is who I am. Mm. And, and that, to me, is what manhood looks like. Yeah. Is getting to a place where you say, I know who I am, and I'm comfortable with it. Yeah. I accept it, and I'm excited about it, actually. Mm. I'm going to just live who I am, and I'm okay if other people aren't impressed by me. I'm okay if they don't like me. It's, uh, that's fine. I think in the midst of that grind, you assume this is always going to be with me. I'm always going to feel this way. And I guess it's possible that that's something that every, that someone carries all along, but it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. I think it's hard to break out of that when you're new and you're young and everyone's you know looking at you and talking to you like you're a whippersnapper and mm -hmm. you don't know anything. But there is a transition that happens, and it's beautiful. Mm. I don't know when it happens. I don't know when it even happened for me, but there was yeah. definitely a point where I was like, I'm good now. Yeah. And there's just a lot of freedom there. Yeah. What did that do for your marriage when you oh, kind of came to accept that? Well, it did a lot of things. One thing that it did was it allowed me to be more authentic when I came home. Hmm. Um, I spent the first easily, I mean, we've been married for 18 years. I spent easily the first 10 years, maybe hmm. more, protecting Amy and the kids from... Uh, my emotion mm. from my pain you know I'd go to work and it was a hard day and it was scary and it was you know emotionally draining and I would come home and she would say how was your day honey and I would say fine and the kids would say how was your day dad I'm great it's fine whatever let's just move on right yeah. and I thought I was protecting them I thought I was helping them not have to be in it with me yeah but what I realized once I started to be more comfortable with who I am is that actually was putting distance between us. Hmm. It's really hard for Amy to be in relationship with me if, she, if I won't actually let her into my pain. Hmm. That's actually what relationship is, <laughs> is us connecting with each other in shared difficulty and soothing each other and caring for each other. And I wasn't letting her do that because as far as she knew, I never had any pain. Hmm. But the bigger issue is it made her feel weak and stupid that she did, because hmm. I never did, right? So hmm. something's wrong with her if she feels sad or she's hurt by something, because James is always fine. And I wasn't. I was medicating with alcohol and porn and anything else I could get my hands on to make the pain go away. Yeah. And I thought I was protecting them. I was hurting myself. I was hurting them. Yeah. And so the biggest thing for me was just this breaking open of me being able to authentically share, like, I'm hurt. Yeah. I'm struggling. I'm embarrassed. Yeah. I'm... You know, I feel inadequate. I, whatever the feeling was, to be able to actually say that, I, it really, for me, this moment happened where my son, my oldest son, came home from school, and something really hard had happened several years ago. And he was crying as he was telling me about it. And then he started, like, sucking it up. You know, like, it's fine. <clears throat> I'm good. You know, mm -hmm. just kind of yeah. fighting yeah. it all back. And I was like, whoa, whoa. Like, you are absolutely allowed to do that. I want you to feel that. I want you to engage in that emotion. It's okay. And then it hit me. You've never seen me do that. Mm. You don't think it's okay. You've never watched your dad cry. You've never watched me feel deep pain. I am not modeling this well for you. Yeah. I thought I was protecting you, but I'm actually getting in your way. Yeah. Right? So 
that was when I kind of started to change my attitude. Now I come home and they ask me, how was my day? I'm just honest. And so I'm not Eeyore. I don't come home with this, like, woe is me and this, like, you know, day sucked and my life is hard. It's, it's just really authentic. You know, I celebrate the things that are worth celebrating, but I let them into the stuff that's hurt me. Yeah. And I let them know what the hurt is. It's not just like it was hard. Mm. It was, you know, this happened and I actually felt shame. Mm. Or this happened and I felt, you know, embarrassed or inadequate or whatever the authentic word is. Because one of the things I've noticed is we, particularly as men, have no vocabulary for emotion. I actually have an emotional wheel. All the words for different emotions that I have in my office. And when someone comes in and they're talking about something, they all, if it's a guy... They always say, I'm so mad. We, <laughs> we morph everything into anger. Yeah. Because it's powerful. Yeah. We were taught from young age, mm-hmm. anything that's uh, negative or anything that's sad or embarrassment, that's all girl feelings. Mm-hmm. Guy feelings are rage, happiness, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Like, you're allowed to be angry because that's powerful. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... What I've tried to do is model having a vocabulary, mm-hmm. right, for, for my kids to say this was, I, f- I felt anxious, I felt, you know, these words that they don't necessarily know yet, mm-hmm. but they're hearing, okay, those are feelings that dad has had, so I'm allowed to have them too, yeah. right? Um, instead of just, I was sad or I was mad. Yeah. That's a pretty puny vocabulary, and it's not authentic. It's, you know, I've met with guys all the time, they, they can't even put words to what they're feeling, yeah. they don't know what it is. Yeah. And so I'm trying to, you know, break that, you, mic, that cycle. How do you balance, like, the time and energy that it mm-hmm. takes to actually have those conversations? Like, I'm thinking about, like, for Case and I, we right. don't have kids yet. Yeah. But we have busy schedules. Yeah. It's hard enough to find the time to, like, debrief that stuff. Yeah. I can't imagine with three kids at home. Yeah. Like, like, where do those moments happen when you're actually able to talk about, like, here's how my day went and here's how I feel about it? Yeah, so we have... Um, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is this idea of non-negotiables. Yeah. Right? What is your family about? What's your family vision? What's your purpose? What yeah. is the reason that you exist as a family? And then what are the non-negotiables that tie to that purpose? So one of our non-negotiables is I'll be home for dinner. Yeah. So I am. we have dinner together every night, mm. which, you know, some people are like, well, that's nice. I, you know, I wish I could do that. I, I would argue it's an option. Mm. It. The problem with non-negotiables is they have consequences. Mm. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna pick this thing up, I'm gonna have to put these two other three, two or three things down, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so the problem is that for me to be home for dinner means I'm not gonna take traveling opportunities. I'm not gonna go meet with people. I'm I'm not gonna do that. And we may not get that business as a result, mm. and that's okay. That's a choice I've made that I'm going to be home. And when I am home for dinner, we have these moments where we go around and we talk about our high lows. So high low of the day. And everybody, you know, goes around and they say, this was my high, this was the most exciting thing, and this is what I felt when that happened. Mm -hmm. And this was my low, and this is the hard thing, and this is what I felt when that Mm -hmm. happened. And so it gives us an opportunity to at least kind of take a a, a positive and a negative emotion and and throw it out on the table. Mm -hmm. And that happens every dinner. It's just a thing that we do as a way to connect with each other. And it doesn't take that long, you know. But it creates that space for people to kind of be able to, from the kids and for Amy and I to be able to just share that stuff. So. I love that because, you know, you were talking earlier about modeling that for right. your kids, but you're not really just modeling it for them. You're also giving them a chance to exercise That's right. those yeah. muscles, right, or that yeah. vocabulary or whatever it is. That's right. And it's really that. fun because sometimes they'll throw out an emotion 
and I'll challenge him a little bit. Like, you sure that was anger? Yeah. Like, what did that feel like? Yeah. You know, because sometimes they're just guessing or they're hmm. picking one that's, you know, easy and we'll kind of dive a little deeper into it because I don't, that didn't sound like anger, what mm-hmm. you felt there, you mm-hmm. know. And they'll get to, yeah, you're right, that was actually disappointment. Yeah. Or, you know, and that's different than yeah. anger, right? So those are the kinds of things we're trying to engage in. But it's also really helpful for Amy and I yeah. to kind of be able to have that shared vocabulary. And then for her to be, you know, one of the things that I think is really hard in marriage is you have to be, and this takes a lot of practice, but you have to be a safe place for each mm-hmm. other. And that safe place looks like I can say whatever is real mm-hmm. and you don't react. You don't mm-hmm. come at me. You don't defend yourself. You don't fight back. You just... Mm-hmm allow me to say what I need to say and where I really authentically am and not blame me or shame me or anything for that. Mm. Let me voice that and then soothe me Mm. in that. Don't fix it, you know, because we as guys suck at that. We want to fix everything. Yeah. Don't fix it. But also, uh, you know, don't, you know, tell me I shouldn't feel that way or don't, you know, don't try to make it go away. Yeah. Just, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as like while I'm sitting there, Amy is rubbing my back. That's it. It's all it takes. It's so soothing, yeah. right? It's all it takes. I don't need her to do anything else. Yeah. Just I'm here and I'm caring for you. How did y'all get on the same page of like what soothing looks like <clears throat> for each of you? It's actually a question, right? <laughs> yeah. What would it look like for me to help soothe you in this? So how did you get on the same page? Right. You asked. Ask the question, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Communicate, right, go figure. But it's yeah. like, hey, you know what would really soothe me is if you told me what you admire about me mm. if I feel inadequate, mm. right? Oh, yeah, I'm happy to do that. Right, so it's different depending on what you're feeling. But to actually have that conversation and be able to say, "This is what it would look like for that pain to be soothed." Yeah, and it's, it is very different depending on what that pain is. Mm. But the fun thing for a relationship is then the spouse is like, "Oh, I would love to do that for you." <laughs> right? It's not like, "Oh man, they're excited. Like, get yeah. me in there. I'm. This is. I love you. I want to do that for you. Yeah, and I can help directly." Mm. For years, I wouldn't even let her help because, as far as she knew, nothing was wrong. Mm. You know, so that's powerful. I mean, so you've shared that with me before, mm. and like immediately, it opened so many doors in conversation with my wife yeah. around w- when are those moments when I'm not letting her in yeah. to those areas of my life, yeah. and it's already like you know you shared this with me a couple weeks ago, right? And it's already created such a different level of relationship for us. That's awesome. So I hope that now sharing this on the podcast that'll open up some cool uh, conversations and yeah, I hope and so some too. other marriages as well. What do conversations like that look like with uh, with your buddies, with yeah. like men that you're in relationship with? Is there an equivalent conversation to that? I think that we need to be in community with a handful of men where we are known and we can be completely brutally vulnerable. Hmm. If you know, if you're struggling with something emotionally or you're really feeling like your career is stalling or you have like this thing that's hanging on you and you don't have a handful of four guys Hmm. that you can say, I need you to come. You know, Jesus, you know, tells in in the gospel, you talk about these four guys that carried the paralytic Hmm. and dropped him down in front of Jesus, right? Hmm. The paralytic had four men. Mm. who would carry him to the foot of Jesus, right? And we need those four men in our lives, too. We need to be able to say, like, this is something that's really burying me, 
and not have them run from that conversation because it's pain. Oh, that's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll let you deal with that when you're over it. Come grab a beer with me when we can have fun mm-hmm. again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, do you have four men that if you called them in the middle of the night would come and sit with you mm. and take you to the foot of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 is that available? If it's not, it has to be like because it, yeah. it's different than women. Like even if your spouse is the most caring and wonderful woman on the planet, you need guys totally that can be something very different yep. than what your wife can be. I remember being a, a few years out of college and kind of looking up and realizing like I had a lot of dudes in yep. my life, a lot of buddies that I spent time with, yep. but I didn't really have that depth of relationship with anyone. Mm. And I remember that that moment when I realized that of like I have a lot of, you know, quote unquote friends but do I have really any like brothers in my life? And I had great mentors in my life, but mm-hmm. uh, and it was interesting to me. Like when I realized that, I was like, "Gosh, that's going to be hard to find those men." Yeah. And then it felt—I don't know if you had the similar experience. Like it felt like I raised my hand to say, "Hey, I want real relationship." Yeah. And like God just said, "Like done. Here, here are men that that's also right. want real relationship." Absolutely. Well, I think the thing that everyone assumes is that they're the only one that has this need. It is a need intentionally. Yeah. God designed us to have that need. Yeah. So if you're just happen to be the first one in your community of friends to say, this is what I actually want. Mm. Uh, it doesn't take long for those people to say, yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then I think what, what I've tried to do is I've, Amy and I have both intentionally looked at couples, families, and said, we will do life with you mm. for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much demand, so much opportunity for us to relationship ourselves to death. Mm. And it is uh, actually not conducive to depth, right? We, we end up mm. with all these random uh, kind of shallow relationships that make us feel busy and make us feel like we're connected, but we're not known. Right? Yeah. And so what I think happens is we, so we've gone to several, you know, three families and we've said, this is the deal. Mm. We, we are doing life together, you and I, and, mm. and this is, this is, we will always prioritize you over anybody else. Powerful. And so if we have an opportunity, there's time on our calendar where we want to fill it. We're going to fill it with you guys yeah. first. Yeah. And if you're not available and we want to have some other, that's fine. But our priority is going to be to do this life well with three families. Yeah. Because we can't do it with 30. Yeah. Right? And what's happened is that the depth of relationship there has grown. Our kids have grown up together. There's mm. been so much familiarity. We've, we've done vacations with them. We've just had this really amazing set of shared experiences that we wouldn't have because we'd be bouncing Right? If we were doing trips, yeah. it would be with somebody different every time. It'd be, it just would be chaos. I'm interested in how you've balanced that specifically. Like as a business owner with yeah. a staff of 20-plus right. people that yeah. all have families and that are probably clamoring for your time right. Right? in a healthy yeah. way. Right. Uh, and then clients, right? Yeah. Like I'm assuming you serve probably around 100 mm-hmm. or so clients. Yeah. Uh, that are also pulling on your time, and then you're in men's ministry. <laughs> Those right. men are probably also pulling. That's like, right. how do you? How have you set boundaries with those other folks that I know you want to invest in? Yeah. But then you also have this subset of families that you've chosen to do life with. Yeah. What does the balance there look like? I think the 
the best thing that we can do is set ourselves up where we have to say no. Mm. And um, I've learned that a couple of different ways. I still suck at it, by the way. Just, <laughs> I suck at saying no. I am way over, still way over committed. Yeah, that's the beauty of a podcast. We're just theorizing. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, we don't actually do this well. We just, like, wouldn't it be great if this is what it was like? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's great. So, but one of the things that I think has been really fun, you know, Amy and I, uh, last year, we, 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 one of our, uh, non-negotiables is is we will have deep dive shared experiences as a family. Mm-hmm. Like we will do things. We're not just gonna like live together and be roommates. We're gonna mm-hmm. go on adventure. We're gonna be connected to each other and shared experience. And so we bought this little log cabin uh, house out at Rocky Fork Lake, way out you know in Hillsboro. Awesome. It's an hour and a half away, so we can get there really easily. And so having that house has totally changed the way that our weekends go. Hmm. Because what it used to look like is, hey, can you, can you, and I would say, yeah, yeah, sure, I can fit that in, I'll do that on Saturday, I could do that on Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon, I could da 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 whatever. Um, now, I'm, we're gone. Yeah. So I have to say no, right? <laughs> and if the calendar has one of these three families on it, because we're intentionally saying, we're going to book you first, mm-hmm. then when someone else calls, no, I, th- we, no, we can't. Yeah, that's not a. That doesn't say you don't matter to me. It doesn't say I don't care about you. It just says that my priorities are these things first. Mm. And what I've done in those scenarios is I've encouraged people to find those relationships. Like, you know, we've already got our three, so we're not adding anybody to the list of people we're going to intentionally do life with and that are going to be on the priority list. Mm. But I would encourage you to go find your three. Mm. Right. So. It's not a reflection on me. It's not a reflection on you. It's just mm-hmm. we already got our three. You go find your three. And what happens a lot of times is they do. And then, you know, we'll still connect. We'll still have fun. But they recognize what that looks like because they've cho- chosen to do it themselves. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, putting things in place that say, like, I, I can't. I'm not even going to be here. All yeah. of a sudden it's like, wow, that was easy. And here's the thing I found out. People are like, okay. I thought they would be like, you know, I can't believe you. You know, they would be mad at me. They would be disappointed in me. They would feel like, you know, I suck. Yeah. And they just are fine with it. They get it. It's amazing. Like, yeah. Saying no is not the end of the world. Yeah. I, I had no idea. Powerful, man. <laughs> so it's crazy. It's powerful. <clears throat> yeah. So 19 years into this yeah. uh, awesome career that you've built for yourself, this, yeah. this practice that I know has such a massive impact mm-hmm. on the Thanks. lives of your clients. I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. Um, what has the role of mentorship played in that that success? You mentioned earlier Ron Bashir recruiting you to Northwestern. I yeah. know mentors have played a role in your life. Oh, my gosh. What yeah. has that looked like over 19 years? So it, I, one of the things I look back on is I kind of tell my story, my faith journey to people. Mm-hmm. I, I can name uh, six or seven men who at every stage were investing in me. Mm-hmm. Um, back when I was in high school to college to first early career and, mm-hmm. and on and on and on. And so at every point in my life, there was at least one, sometimes two men who were at least 15 or 20 years ahead of me. Yeah. And what it looked like for me was identifying something in them and then proactively going and asking them hmm. for that specific thing. Hmm. I think a lot of times mentorship, first of all, mentorship is an absolute must. We have to be walking 
life with people who are ahead of us and walking life with people who are behind us. Yeah, that okay. is the design that God has for it. Generations will speak to each other about your greatness. I will meditate. They will say this, and I will, you know, say that. And there's this give and take that's designed in the generational kind of discourse hmm. that we're not doing right now. That's interesting because yeah. we hate each other. You know, we think the baby boomers are this, and we think the millennials are that, and mm -hmm. the Gen Xers are, well, I'm a Gen Xer, so I think they're great. But. <laughs> they're perfect. That's right. But the design of it was that we would actually be in cross-generational relationship because mm -hmm. that's actually how we understand who God is, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And so, but the problem is a lot of times mentees would go to a potential mentor and say, would you mentor me, <laughs> period. Or question mark, I guess. That's a question mark. Yeah. Would you mentor me? Question mark. And the mentor would say, I have no idea what that looks like. I'm intimidated by that. I'm not sure I have anything to offer. So, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. But what I did was I went to them and I said, you know, in one particular case, David Sheldon, I went to him and I said, I have heard you pray. Mm. And you pray in a way that I don't. And mm. I want to talk to God the way you do. Mm. Will you teach me how that works? And it was a specific request. And he's like, well, yeah, we can talk about that. Hmm. If I went to him and said, will you mentor me? He would go, no. <laughs> I don't know what that means, right? Yeah. So in each of those cases, there was something in me that I saw was missing that they had. And I asked for that specific thing rather than just a general relationship. Mm. And so I feel like for, for young men, finding that person who's 15, 20 years ahead of you and saying, I want this. They'll, they're happy to help when yeah. it's a specific request. Yeah. Somebody calls you and says, hey, can I pick your brain on something? I almost hang up on the person. <laughs> pick your brain is like the pick, worst yeah, phrase Yeah, the ever. worst. Like, I don't even, what does that even mean? Yeah. Are you going to actually open my skull? No, I'm not letting you do that. <laughs> it's terrible right. imagery. Yeah. But if they say, hey, could you teach me how to, mm. you know, do financial planning? Could you show me how to, you know, you know with the book stuff? How, can you talk to me about what it looks like to write a book? You, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you have to ask a specific question, I'm happy to answer it. Yeah. And it's the same thing with mentorship. Yeah. So I love that. So I'm going to tee you up for a really shameless plug, but I but I'm actually curious what your take <laughs> would be great. on this. That's awesome. Is, yeah. uh, your book I think is super yep. powerful. Living Rich Life. Thanks. Uh, yep. You can find it on Amazon. Yep. Um, yep. Or you can go to livingrichlife.com. Yep. Uh, what? Why do you think men specifically need to read your book? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so much of it was written with men in mind because it's... Mm. So what, I, what I've done over the last almost 20 years now is I have walked life with hundreds and hundreds. We have 1,200 clients. Mm. I've walked life with so many people at so many different life stages and so many circumstances that they've run up against. And when I talk to them, what, we're, what, we, what I found is we're not really talking about the math. Mm. We're talking about the emotion. We're talking about the relationship. We're talking about things that are way harder than math. Mm. And most of the time, I'm talking to the men, mm. right? They sacrifice their soul to the company store, and then they retire, and on the last day they retire, they get a couple of pats on the back, there's cake in the conference room, uh, and that's it. The door shuts and the machine keeps running without them. They never needed them. Mm. They just needed somebody. Mm -hmm. And there's hundreds of guys standing in line to take their job, mm. and meanwhile, they were the only husband and the only father on the, they were the only person on the planet that could have done that job. Mm -hmm. And instead, they sold their soul 
to the company because they were convinced they were invincible mm -hmm. and that they were irreplaceable, that this all hinged on them and they had to be the hero. Mm -hmm. And then they turned to the wife and the kids and they, they've learned to live without them. Right? Mm -hmm. And so the key in my mind to living a rich life is is understanding the, the value of relationship, that we are built and designed. The part that uh, when I think of we're designed in God's image, what that means to me more than anything else is we are designed to be relational. Mm. God gave us the ultimate key, the ultimate, I guess, hint mm. that that's the meaning of life and that he's a trinity. Mm. He has been in relationship for all of time and will be in relationship for eternity. It is the design, and that's what we're supposed to be in. As relationships, and we tend to, you know, put those as lower priorities. We tend to not be lifting burdens of other people. We tend to not be connecting to other humans, uh, and then we amass a bunch of money. <laughs> and we get to the end, and we go, "What did I do this for? Mm. What was the point?" Yeah, and we missed it. Yeah, and it's hard to go back and fix those uh, broken relationships mm. after years and years of them being broken. Mm. So the sooner you catch it. And you start to recognize how important that is, and I and I say all this because I've gotten the incredible privilege of gleaning this wisdom mm. from all these people. I would I, there's no way I would know these things yeah. if I hadn't lived these lives with these amazing people. Mm. They've they've let me in to the pain, mm. and then I've gotten the beauty of just being able to receive what that gift is and yeah. then be able to share it hopefully with other people. It really, being a financial advisor is really an interesting oh, position in somebody's life. And it's it? such a privilege. Like the opportunity that you have to impact yeah. their life in such a unique way, yeah. but also the things that you get to intimately know right. about how they think about things and the decisions that they've made. It yeah. really is an interesting spot to sit in. Your, your finances are second only to your sex life. In yeah. terms of awkward things to talk about, yeah, you know, you <laughs> I mean, it's like, I mean, by the time you get deep in the weeds, people have opened their soul to you, yeah, and they, their priorities are clear. You know, they may say my priority is this, this, and this, but that's not what's living out, right? Yeah. And so, you know, they're fully disclosing what really matters when they're getting into their money, mm. because it is, you know, if you want to know what matters most to people, just open their checkbook and see what they've been doing. I love it. You know, instantly. Yeah. And sometimes they're not connected to what really matters and they wake up to that. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Yeah. Those are, you know, the moments where you go, I love my job. Mm. Yeah. There's I other times that. I don't like it so much. <laughs> don't we all have that's those right. moments? Exactly. That's right. Exactly. That's <laughs> well, right. Well, this is a moment when I love my job. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Because this I'm has glad. been a really Likewise. fun time. That's right. Uh, just picking your brain to use a phrase <laughs> that we both hate. But, <laughs> Thank you for using the <laughs> phrase we both hate. That's awesome. Yeah. I just, you know, I love that imagery, right? Uh, no, I, I, I really do appreciate you taking the time to, to talk through these things. I think yeah. uh, you, you have, you know, the thing that I've come to admire so much about you mm. is your intentionality. Oh. Thank intentionality you. with the way that you've designed your life, mm. the way with which you still continue to audit what's working and what's not. Mm. Um, as a husband, as a dad, as a business leader, it's been a, a pleasure to get to know you. Mm. Um, and I, I uh, am excited about future seasons of what our relationship looks like, yeah. but also future seasons of what your impact will be uh, on your clients and, and on, on God's kingdom. Wow. That is overly kind. Thank you. That's incredible. <laughs> well-deserved, brother. Oh, well. If Likewise. people do want to learn more about you, learn more yep. about WealthQuest, where yep. can they hunt you down? 
Yeah, so WealthQuest is wqcorp.com, wqcorp.com. It's not a great website address, but uh, it's not. <laughs> it will be a great website. It is a great website. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it will be once you get done making it. Um, and then, uh, you know, they can catch uh, the book at livingrichlife.com. And, you know, there's a podcast, the Rich Life podcast. So I'm unfortunately everywhere. <laughs> I have friends that are like, will you stop? Being all over the place, <laughs> I, I see your face or hear your voice everywhere I go. Yeah, like, yeah, my bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad face or voice. Well, to, I appreciate that. Yeah, frequently be around. Well, so. Voice might be better than the face, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that I really want guys to just take away, if if anything else, is uh, emotion is uh, incredibly valuable. Hmm. God designed it for a reason. Negative emotion is part of our life. It's at least 50% of our life experience. It's something we should embrace. It's something we should feel, not run away from, not morph into something manly, but just sit in it and be in it, and it's okay. Jesus wept. Jesus felt this stuff. Mm -hmm. We should too. Mm -hmm. We should stop running from it because it's better relationally. It's so much better. And so I just, you know, the more and more that I interact with men, the more that I realize that's the gaping hole. And mm-hmm. so if there's anything, you know, coming on the podcast, which has been awesome, by the way, thank you mm. for, for having me. But if there's anything that we can be doing to help men really get to a place where they're comfortable with that, mm. everything else takes care of itself. Yeah. It's so important. So Yeah. Awesome. I love that, brother. Thanks. Thanks again, man. You we'll bet. have you again on the show. Yeah, anytime. Let me know. Appreciate it. Cool. Thanks. Man, there was so much gold in that episode. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that. Thanks for giving us a little bit of your time and of your day. I hope that was encouraging, inspiring, and that you also took away some just tactical uh, advice around building community and investing in the people that matter most to you and in, in setting up your life in a really intentional way. If you want to learn more about James's book, Living a Rich Life, you want to learn more about WealthQuest, you can uh, check out James's podcast all by going to subscribe.richlifepodcast.com. Again, that's subscribe.richlifepodcast.com. James, thanks again for coming on the show, brother. If you guys have different topics, ideas, guests, uh, concepts that you want us to dive into and explore. Our commitment is to journey alongside you as we all figure out what biblical manhood looks like in our faith, work, and life. And in order to do that, we love, love, love feedback from y'all that are listening to this podcast. What do you like? What are you not liking? Where could we invest some more time? Shoot me an email at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at grownmanproject.com. That's Kurt, K-U-R-T, at grownmanproject.com. See you next week in same place, wherever you get your podcast goodness, we will be here.